Hello, everyone, and welcome to the one-year anniversary of Plot Devices. My name is Brandon King. I am one of your hosts for today. Somehow, you have all made it with us in this year-long odyssey of this podcast adventure. This is a mini-sode where we are taking your questions and hopefully giving you some half-decent answers, maybe even some good answers. I'm here to, of course, celebrate with many people. First and foremost, you may know her as the former uh, co-host and one of the co-founders of this here podcast, along with some amazing work uh, for ASU Odyssey and some other sites here and there. Please help me welcome Samantha Corvaya. Sam, how are you doing today? I am doing great, especially because we're all reunited. And I got to say, it feels so good. So oh, you said the thing. that we're all together here, especially to celebrate one year. So congratulations, guys. I've been listening and you're all keeping on, keeping on. So great job. And your support is always appreciated. Also joining us here is a recurring guest on the show and friend of the show. He's the co-founder and creative officer behind uh, No Capes Acquired and a bunch of other really cool things. Sky Merida is here. Sky, how are you doing today? I arrived to this podcast like I do to almost every party, fashionably late. But uh, I'm honestly really, it's exciting to be here. Also, of course, here is my longstanding co-host and theatrical maestro, only murders cohort, Noah Guzman, who is going to be moderating all of these questions that you guys have wonderfully sent in on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the social medias. So for now, Noah, how are you doing? And uh, what should people expect of today? We made it to one year, baby. Woo! I can't believe like, we have decided to start this podcast and then in its infancy we kind of had a lot of questions we kind of had a lot of barriers of like how are we going to do this most successfully had you know discussions around scheduling had discussions around content but all of those were significant to helping us reach this point today which i'm so happy we have sam one of the original members of our plot devices crew here as well as sky which sky you are very important to be here today because you are like a recurring guest star of just a beloved series and you're the episodes that people are like oh he's on like it's going to be a good episode so I hope you feel like that because that is how we regard you. Um, but let's go ahead and start this Q&A. As Brandon said, we received questions from uh, a couple of different social feeds. Uh, we are very appreciative of all the questions that got in. But the first few we will answer uh, are kind of going to be you know, more host-driven because they are all about the podcast itself. So our very first question from Instagram account Words and Carnations is, how did you guys first decide to start the podcast? I remember the invite coming maybe in the form of a group text between myself, Sam and Brandon and thinking like, Oh, Brandon wants to start a podcast. Like let's have a meeting and talk about this. So Brandon tossing the digital mic over to you, please let our listeners know like what idea popped into your head and what really initiated that. It was a hot and dry day in the city of Phoenix, Arizona. I was editing a show for my work outside of this. I was trying to figure out a way for a while back then to try and figure out how I want to get content on a more frequent basis. I wanted to expand more into an audio project of myself. Now that I, again, don't like the stuff I do for work, I do, but I don't get to be on air as much. So I wanted to, you know, as Noah can probably, uh, you know, identify with, I wanted to be the center of attention a little bit. Um, but I also wanted to include people on that because I know that I can't do this alone. That would just be nonsense. So I figured, oh, I've got two great critics in this group chat who also write for ASU Odyssey and who don't necessarily think I'm a total bother. So I texted you guys out of the blue and was like, hey, I've been thinking about this for a while. And I had kind of also gone back to a couple of podcasters who I knew in the loop. I went back to uh, Amanda Liberto, who I think Sam is familiar with. I went to Adam Hazard. I went to um, my friend Melanie Rogoff. And of course, I also went to Sky. And I remember asking you a couple of tips about how you ran your show as well. I kind of coalesced all of those into the formula along with shows like Breakfast All Day and Schmoes No and uh, Rest in Peace to Collider Movie Talk, but like shows like that that were a combination of news and entertainment and reviews and just all around nonsense that people could get together and talk about the things in entertainment that really meant most of them. I was really excited and honored at the fact that you even asked us to be part of this podcast because you picked a great group in, in that we all love, you know, all the cool things that are happening in pop culture at the moment. So I was really happy about that and excited that we could, you know, it was a good excuse to hang out and talk and be able to just share our love over those things. So yeah, it, it was definitely, you know, those were the first thoughts running through my mind and it was just something exciting and new to do, especially because for me, I, always um I, I trained as like a print journalism kid I was never actually part of like uh, we we went to the same college all of us so we um I never did any of like the radio shows or anything broadcast related really so it was something new for me to do and I was really excited about that and just again honored to be able to to, to be offered something like that especially with friends for me, a lot of the same with Sam, which she says, like, it was a great excuse just to hang out and talk about movies, like, bi-weekly or here several times a month. 
And uh, I was already watching these movies anyways in theaters, at least the majority of them. Like there's some of them that we covered on the pod, which I'm like, oh, like maybe I would, maybe that wouldn't have gotten in front of me, but um, I'm a better you know, audience member because I have this variety of, of uh, content that we've all taken in. And I think at the time I was just like, you know, why not? Like these are two people that I enjoy conversation with and they, whenever I'm around these two people, the topics always kind of just lean toward entertainment and like the movies that we're watching. And so it was clear that it spoke to all of our interests. So it sounded like an, a great idea and, and it has been, and I'm happy that we're still continuing this podcast here now a year later. Let's move on to our next question again from words incarnations. And that is what episode of plot devices are you most proud of? They're actually funny picks because they're actually the first minisodes that we ever did. So I really liked when we covered the DC fandom. That was so much fun because we did that pretty quickly after all the announcements. So we were all really still excited about like all the cool things that were announced that day. And I just like, you know, how simple and straightforward it was where you're like, okay, pick like five things that you were excited about and just go have at it. And it was just kind of like a fun, open discussion that um, just really made me more excited for those kinds of projects, especially. Um, and then of course the, the Spider-Man rankings too, because that one was a really big task. I remember us like rewatching them and like ranking them. And some of them were actually in similar places. And then it just all fell apart near the top picks we're like oh gosh they're all different <laughs> so that was um that was a lot of fun and especially got me hyped for spider-man and so uh yeah i, I really enjoyed those two episodes i also go back to the mini shows like those were and i still hope we do more of those like i love ranking lists and you know sky can test for this like that whole spider-man fever pitch during no way home which is a time that you know i think all of us remember very fondly for me, again, like, I don't want to be like, all of these are, you know, great, because I edit all of these, so I, you know, have experience with a lot of just going back and listening to these. For me, episode 21 was really fun. Uh, Noah, that was the one where we did the Oscar nominations. We ripped into Moonfall, and then actually Haley Orbis came on to join us for Witcher uh, Season 2. Um, I also have a lot of praise for episode 31, which was the, just recently, the aftermath of the San Diego Comic-Con. We talked about Nope, we reviewed Miss Marvel. Uh, that was a really great, consistent show. And then even going back earlier to when uh, Sam was on the show, Episode 10, which was the 20-minute Dune review, which I still get a kick out of uh, going back to every once in a while. Uh, plus, Only Murders, that was the thing. And then uh, 13, which I remember we had very different thoughts as far as directorial debuts goes, which is super cool. And then, obviously, Episode 15, which was the Thanksgiving extravaganza with Hawkeye and Bruise. And, but that was a really cool, just laid-back show, I remember, for that Thanksgiving season. And then, obviously, looking sky into this, um, obviously the Batman spoiler review that we had with, uh, Daniel Bokenkamp was just a ton of fun and we just went all in on, and it, there's a ton of great things that I could obviously know. What about you? I think of course, of those, those ones that are singled out. So I think about, uh, the Batman spoiler review, uh, with Sky and how dense that film felt when I, when I first watched it, but I was so excited just to get in this zoom lobby and start talking with you all about it because it was one of it was like the the movie that everybody was discussing at the time and so i felt like all of our ideas were very particular and so i really i really enjoyed that conversation that we were all able to have and um i think it was our first minisode for us for just a movie and that felt significant, but maybe, maybe I'm misremembering. Um, and then the other two are, of course, the ranking ones. I think between the two, uh, top 10 films of 2021 and then our most anticipated films of 2022, I lean more towards anticipated of 2022, just because we all have this like essence of hope for these movies. Like we're all so hopeful for what they can be and what they can become. And I know for a fact that Multiverse of Madness was on that list for me. And I just, now I regret mentioning it now that we are here in August, the end of August in 2022. We're going to get to a question later that's like relative to that point. But I like the episodes most where I feel like we are just sitting with our hope and we're not like uh, talking about the downfalls of one of these movies and how they didn't meet our expectations, but more so we are encouraging what they could be in the future. And I think that that's always more delightful. We are moving to a Facebook question from Leah. What's your favorite and least favorite movie or TV show that you covered on the podcast and why? I will start answering this question. So I think that when it comes to my least favorite content pieces on the show, it's going to be 
a mix because part of it, part of what makes these discussions enjoyable is when myself and the other hosts or our guests that we have on, when we can have like similar perspectives, because I think then my points just feel really defended and strengthened. Um, and then other times where like Brandon and I will have conflicting views on a, on a movie or a TV show. Um, they're fun, but I think that it, it kind of, it drives the conversation into more of like me and Brandon are the dinosaurs that like have the big heads that ram each other. Um, all in good fun. But I think that if it had to go down to at least favorite movie, to, I'm going to say Halloween Kills. Halloween Kills. I was so bothered by my expectations for that movie. And I let myself down. So uh, if you go back, like I probably talk about Halloween Kills, like it makes it to more episodes than when I review it, just because of how much it soured in my mind. Uh, Brandon, what is some of your most favorite and least favorite uh, content pieces that we've covered on this podcast? I think for all of us, everything, everywhere at once, based on the 20 minute review that you and I did, and based on what I've heard from Sky and Sam, I think we're pretty much in agreement about that. Um, I think also, oh God, what else? Um, Sam and I's review of Belfast, I remember being really fun. Um, I'm glad I got to talk about Supergirl and Why the Last Man before they both got canceled. Like, I appreciate just having the opportunity because again, we, we never really know what a TV show specifically is dropping, how long it'll actually last. So okay to talk about those shows that I did enjoy to varying degrees and, you know, got to talk about with Melanie Rogoff and a couple other people. Like, that was really fun. Uh, obviously, as far as least favorite things, don't look up. You know, we had a time ripping into that. We did not really care for it. And I wanted to, I agree with a lot of it. It's just a mess of a movie. Uh, House of Gucci, the three of us kind of ripped into over Thanksgiving. Um, but for me, The King's Daughter is just a mess. And it's still my least favorite movie of the year. I don't know how it got made its capacity, but she's... And this is that like Little Mermaid type movie, right? Yeah, with Pierce Brosnan. Oh, and... When yeah. when us three rip into a movie, oh, that's gold, Sam. I don't like it. Why don't you share with us some of your favorite uh, and least favorite content pieces from the pod? Yeah, so for favorite, Brandon actually kind of stole it a little bit earlier. Dune. That one was such yeah. a memorable conversation because we just had so much to say, and we honestly could have gone on and made the entire episode about Dune. So I, that one always sticks out to me as one of my favorite discussions that we ever had um same with only murders in the building i just feel like that we always constantly had something really cool to say about it and it's still really cool even in its second season and so um looking forward to more from that but um i gotta say my least favorite la brea and i don't have to explain oh my god i forgot about la brea Brea, i literally just had nothing good to say and i was just like it's terrible I, say less like i'm like i had literally have nothing else to say other than it was so terrible i hated it oh. and i did not want to discuss it because i'm like i don't i like it, we're always very positive about things and we're always looking forward to like oh how can how can we see this changing in the future for me i'm like yeah this is one of those nbc shows that's like some kind of like I don't know, some weird phenomenon happens. And then it's like, oh, what happens next? Usually the show's canceled in one season. So it's like, for me, I was just like, oh my goodness, like I did not like that show. So uh, that's it. <laughs> Sky, real Thank quick, you. From, uh, from this year, what have been your highlights and lowlights? So I guess I'll just say like my time during like No Tapes Required, which like, yeah, if you haven't already, go listen to it. Shameless plug. Um, Follow it, it's great. By far the most like fun discussion and was, and I think like just gleeful review throughout my, you know, years covering was uh, when Doug and I were talking about Avengers Endgame after the hype of seeing that in 2019. That was just so much fun. We loved it so much. And then (laughs) funny enough, our worst, our least favorite movie also came out that year and that was the new Hellboy movie. And uh, yeah, that was. Not not the best, let's just say. Um, even though we we interviewed a fan named Rob who loved the movie, who said that it was going to get a sequel, and I was just looking like I don't think this is going to get a sequel. But uh, and as far as I know, it seems like I'm right. But you know, shout out Rob. You know, much love. But yeah, Hellboy wasn't for me. Shout out to you, Rob. I hope you're listening. Uh, we're going to jump to some questions that are a little more engaging for our guests here on the pod for this anniversary Q&A. And this first one is going to come from an IG account. It is Brarrow24. I don't care how hilarious that sounded when I said it. This is actually a friend that I've retained since middle school, um, who I am still uh, communicating with back and forth about movies. He gave me inspiration to maybe do She-Hulk for a Halloween costume. I'll keep y'all posted. But the question is, who is your favorite sci-fi director and why, his words, why is it Ridley Scott? Uh, whether you agree or disagree, please tell us about your favorite sci-fi director or several of them. Uh, we'll begin with Sky. 
Yeah, no, I mean, Ridley Scott is, you know, great director. I don't agree with his opinions necessarily about Marvel, but that's a different conversation. Um, in terms of, I think for me, I don't know. I don't know if this guy gets classified as a sci-fi director, but Christopher Nolan, if you include him, I feel like it's just everything from him I've liked. I mean, including the, you know, the first uh, Dark Knight trilogy, which I know isn't technically sci-fi, but if we're just talking about his whole filmography, you know, you can't exclude that. You've also got Inception. You've got, um, you know, I mean, The Prestige, which I think is so underrated and really, really good of a movie. So in terms of just consistency and what I think just appeals to me, Christopher Nolan's probably the first that comes to mind. But, you know, there's so many, and I'm sure you're going to mention a lot of them. I don't disagree with him because Ridley Scott's great. But I got to say that um, one of my favorite sci-fi movies in recent history, um, I actually really like Alex Garland as a director because I really appreciate the movies that he's directed between Men, uh, Annihilation. Annihilation is the one that in recent memory, I really, really loved that movie. And so, um, yeah, I just really liked his style. It's mysterious. And of course, we have Ex Machina, too. So it's like, you know, the, there are a lot of um, different movies going for him, even though he's only like directed a handful of things. I think that what he has directed, it's been really meaningful work. I'm glad you brought up Garland because that was not a name I thought of. But yeah, between which I still haven't seen Ex Machina, but I did really like Annihilation. I know I need to get on it. I know, I know, I know. Um, that being said, we have to look to Neville Newton for this. We have to. Um, I mean, between Blade Runner 2049, which, going back to Ridley Scott, uh, yeah, Scott's amazing. I like Sky. I think he says some confusing things, to be generous. Um, but again, like the Alien franchise, Blade Runner, uh, The Martian, which I adore, like, he has made his mark on sci-fi nonetheless, and I really appreciate it. Um, but even with Villeneuve, I mean, his recent track record is unmistakable. Between Dune, you can classify a bit more as a fantasy, but still. And then you've got Arrival, you've got Blade Runner 2049, all of which I think are tremendous. Um, I want to include the Wachowskis in there. Uh, I do not love all of their movies, but I don't necessarily think qualification for best sci-fi director needs to have consistently great movies. I think it just needs to have the imagination and speculative nature of the best sci-fi. And I think whatever you want to say about the Wachowskis, they have done that. So I would loop the three of them into there. Denis was also actually my second, um, my runner-up pick, because I just absolutely love all the things he's recently done. And I don't know if he classifies as strictly just a sci-fi director because of all the other great work he's done in drama, but still... The movies that he did that are sci-fi centered, absolutely masterpiece. I think I think he counts. If I put Christopher Nolan as a sci-fi director, then I think you have to include Danny. <laughs> Agreed. That's a good point. I'm trying to approach this question from the from the okay. Let me think about the movies that I really enjoy, and maybe there will be a through line of like the director that that is retained throughout them. But unfortunately, that is not the case. So I'm going to say the ones that I have uh, selected based off my uh, interests are going to be the director of Prometheus. Yes, that is Ridley Scott, and Prometheus to me is not even like this grand. I don't know, exciting piece of film, but it was entertaining enough. And when it came out, it was around my birthday. So I always remember like the movies that came around around my birthday. Um, and that one was significant for me just because it felt so powerful and like big and it just looked, it still looks so great on TV. Um, so you got me there, Brandon, with Ridley Scott, but I'm also going to say M night Shyamalan. Okay. I love signs. I will defend signs. It was, it was so terrifying and also just, I don't know, just stamped the horror for maybe a generation of, you know, there's something out there in the cornfields or, you know, there is, there is someone in the clouds watching us. Um, and so I, I will concur and say that, yes, really Scott, but M. Night Shyamalan is up there for sure. I'm actually surprised that none of us mentioned J.J. Abrams. That's kind of funny. For him to actually launch like Star Trek, like back into like, I, I feel like we probably forget how big Star Trek was when it first came out. And I think, yeah. Brandon, you and I talked about it. How like maybe we want that in like the next or at least I kind of want some of that vibe in the next Fantastic Four movie. But I feel like that was more of a game changer than we probably think about. But Oh, it, it definitely is. I'm guilty of that. From the Instagram account, Words and Carnations, welcome back. If you could be in any movie, which would it be and which character? I'm not going to think too hard about this one. I'm going to go ahead and say that mine would be... I don't care. I don't care how cliche it sounds. I would be Rick O'Connell in The Mummy Returns. That is peak cinema. That is so, that is action adventure 10 out of, 
10 out of five, like 200 out of 100. It is amazing. Um, I would love to play that character um, alongside the wonderful Rachel Weiss, um, as well as the introduced kid who I don't, don't remember who the actor's name is. Um, and then the whole, uh, we have the, Dwayne DeRock Johnson uh, jumping in there as the Scorpion King. I believe that's his name in The Mummy as well. But anyways, uh, absolutely. That just looked like a joy to be a part of. And to have that in, in your resume, in your film resume, I just, it would be blown. It would be astounding. Um, everybody loves Brandon Frazier, right? Am I, am, I, am I correct on that? Do people love him again? I uh, think so. They forgot about him, but now he's back. Oh, so wait, the question was for Trey. I thought it was no, just to be I'm sorry, that's that's me. Uh let me take the word the question verbatim. If you could be in any movie, which would it be and which character? This doesn't have to speak to like yeah, yeah, acting sure. potential. Okay. Yeah, no, I actually yeah, because I saw the question and yeah, like Brandon and Sam, I did have difficulty answering, but I'm just kind of going with my gut here. Like the first, like there were three names that honestly popped into my head, and I'm not sure that I would want to endure some of the stuff that these characters are doing, but Two of them popped into my head because they're just so cool. Like, I mean, one of the coolest movie characters for me is like Rusty Ryan in Ocean's Eleven. And just because I love the Ocean's, you know, movies and he was always just so cool. The suits, like, you know, just eating all the time. Like, obviously, like, yeah, Danny Ocean's the leader, but like Rusty's the definitely like the coolest of the oceans, in my opinion, even though he's, you know, Danny, you can't go wrong with either Danny or Rusty. Um, then James Bond. I mean, it's James Bond. I mean, what else to say? And then my third was uh, Captain America, just because obviously that portrayal, like by, you know, Chris Evans, like that is kind of just my favorite MCU character. The MCU has so been so big. So those are kind of the three. I guess if I was to pick a movie, I mean, Winter Soldier is probably when he's just so badass. But at the end of the day, Endgame is when he lifts the hammer. So you can't really go wrong. I mean, so yeah, just Captain America. But yeah, but those are the three that popped into my head. I don't know if I, you know, did as much research into this, but yeah, Rusty Ryan, James Bond, Captain America. Those are great answers. I was, I was waiting for you to mention like an Ethan Hunt too, because it seems like that's where you are leaning. But, uh, I love the mention of Captain America. Yeah. Uh, and you want to be the Captain America that lifts the hammer. I feel like that's unanimous, right? Uh, Sam or Brandon, fight to the death. Who's ready? I'll go because I think I have a funny answer. I want to be background extra number one in the best exotic Marigold Hotel. Yeah. How specific that is. And yes, I could totally see that. Please tell <laughs> us the, why, Brandon. Because the whole point of the question is being like, you have to choose a character too. You can't just be so, so I was like, okay, cool. But I don't like, I respect Sky's answer, but like, I don't want to be, I want to be a Jedi in Star Wars. Like, yeah, I want to be in the High Republic, but that's away from the movies. Like a lot of the movies, the Jedi are not great. Um, and he's not in great positions, I should say. And like, I feel like a lot of characters, there is an automatic sense of responsibility placed on them. So I feel like I could just be an extra witnessing the events that go on between like Judy Dench and everyone at the Best Exotic Marigold Hotel, just kind of chilling, doing my own thing. I would not mind that one bit. I feel like arguably any of Florence Pugh's most recent roles, I find all fascinating. So anything, <clears throat> excuse me, from uh, Yelena with um, Black Widow to Amy March, Little Women, and of course, Midsommar and Danny. I just find that the characters that she plays are so complicated and and she plays them so well and they're all vastly different so definitely appreciate her filmography that she's got going on so far um and i feel like i would love to play any of those just because they're like like i mentioned they're just really exciting roles for her and and she's definitely um one of the best out there so yeah I was wondering if you were going to include Don't Worry Darling, but we haven't seen the movie. <laughs> That's the only reason why. Because <laughs> I was debating. You don't know what happens to her, right? Yeah, you probably don't want to. Exactly, because I'm like, I don't know what happens just yet. But again, that's another role where she's just so different from all the other roles. And I think that's exciting. For a quick answer, this is from the Twitter account, Any Good Name, who I think I know, but I could be wrong, so I'm just going to leave it as that. Uh, and so the question is this. Has there ever been a show that you thought was amazing that got canceled after one season? And this account mentions that theirs is High Fidelity on Hulu. Unfortunately, I did miss that one, and I have not uh, watched the show. I do have family members who say that, who speak praises to it. So uh, who knows? This is, a, this is as good a recommendation as any, so I will have to check that one out. Um, but I'll, I'll go ahead and leave the responses on this one. I think I got my answer pretty quickly just thinking about, you know, what really felt like uh, they had their chances like taken away after that first season. And for me, nothing speaks louder than Lovecraft Country um, with yeah. Jonathan Majors. Like I just I was so enthralled by a series that uh, presented um, 
whether it be race issues or class issues or like freaking tears into reality. Like it was just a show that was not seen or it was unlike anything else that was on. And then it encouraged me to go buy the book and read the first seven pages. Um, but it <laughs> ended up being just a fun ride. And it's such a shame that we aren't getting a season two, even after Misha, Misha Green. Uh, Misha Green, yeah. Even after Misha Green re- revealed like some of the details surrounding the landscape of what season two would have looked like, uh, definitely a recommendation of mine. It, it is going to be a little bittersweet because you know there will not be a continued storyline for it, at least as of yet. But mine is HBO's Lovecraft Country. It is just amazing. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't have a good answer for this because, I mean, thankfully enough for me, most of the shows that like most of the, yeah, the shows that I like have actually, you know, gotten renewed for like, you know, a second season and such. The only, yeah, th- there have been shows, however, that have had multiple seasons and then get canceled. And obviously, I, I really don't need to repeat any more saying because Brandon already knows where I'm going with this because I've been saying this since the OG No Capes Required. But bring the original Teen Titans back. I'm ready. That's all I got to say. Not six uh, seasons. No. Two sense. movies, technically. But there wasn't a finale, Brandon. What, the last episode, he's just leaving Sarah. Like, there's no conclusion there. I agree, but that's fair. <laughs> um, I'm, just asking for, I'm just asking for one season. I don't need like eight seasons or, you know, I just need one more season six. That's all. That's fair. Uh, Sky, would you settle for a, a two hour final episode? I mean, depending on what the story was in, I mean, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I guess it would just be a movie, right? It would just be like one final Teen Titans movie that would just yeah. be a conclusion and put a bow on everything. I might settle for it. I might yes. settle for it. I, I think I prefer a season, but I might settle for that. At that point, I just want some, you know, original Teen Titans content that doesn't include Teen Titans Go, no offense. But yeah, just, you know, OG Teen Titans just would love to for it to come back. And I know people are out there agreeing with you. That is, that is such a great answer. Uh, let's move over to Brandon. Uh, yeah, obviously everyone says Freaks and Geeks. I love Freaks and Geeks. I would love to see it come back too. I think it's too a little too late, unfortunately. Going back to earlier when I talked about Why Lost Man, I think that show was just really getting its wheelhouse. It was such a great opportunity for female directors and also just for the story in general. I think there was so much source material they were changing in the best ways from the comics. And it was just really encompassing a really cool road trip narrative that was just starting to get going. I also just want to point out, if Danielle Bokengib is listening to this, uh, Julie and the Phantoms deserved more than one season it was so much fun the music bopped i think it was just really cool and it deserved more and it ended on a great cliffhanger kenny ortega deserves better i'm sorry i wish there was more i don't know when it started but there was the trend of like you know we can't give you another season but here's an extended final episode and i think i think sensei was like one of the first big ones right that was one i was going to mention was sensei had like its birthday um i think was it like a christmas i don't know what it was but they did have that long episode um after the second season in order to give fans like closure around what was going to be a discontinued series um especially after you learned how expensive that show was to make it's like ooh, i'm not surprised just to touch on what you were just saying though too um sensei like ripped to that because i really loved that series and it I, I understand that it took a heck of a lot of money to make with all the traveling and location filming and everything but i i do appreciate that we had the that final big finale to kind of give closure to some of the fans but it's like you can't help but think what could have been right because it just felt so rushed at least to me it did and so um in, in a way it almost made me want more of the show because like okay how far can we push this envelope into you know getting them to reboot it <laughs> but i digress my um my answers are going to be really niche answers for tv shows um and they're older uh, like kind of when baby sam was getting used to following tvs and movies so i actually really loved terra nova when it first came out in 2000 And so I thought that that TV show was engaging. It was an interesting concept. What if dinosaurs were still around? And so that one was a Fox show. Um, And just to rip right off the plot, it says that it centers on the Shannons, an ordinary family from 2149, when the planet is dying, who are transported back to 85 million years to prehistoric Earth where they join Terra Nova, which is a colony of humans with a second chance to build civilization. And so that had Jason O'Mara in it, Shelley Kahn, Christine Adams, and um, I, I thought, yes, exactly. And, and Stephen Lang. So I just thought it was a really great show and I was engaged on every episode. And I was honestly shocked to hear that it was canceled when baby Sam was barely following TV um, and kind of within the same year, that was 2011. And now in 2012, 
I also really liked the TV show called Awake, which if I'm not mistaken, that was NBC. But it was a really interesting TV show. Again, it's really a niche idea. I know just based off the faces I'm getting in the chat. Um, and so it is. Uh, it stars Jason Isaacs, Lauren Allen, and Dylan Minnette. Um, and so it, what happens is this guy, uh, Jason Isaac's character, um, he is living between two different realities. So his whole family, they play a family, they get in a car accident. And when Jason Isaac's character wakes up, he's living two different realities. So one in which his wife survived the crash and one in which his son survived the crash. And so he's just kind of lost between, you know, what's real and what's not, but their, their realities kind of tie together in like investigations he's working on because he's in law enforcement. And so it's very complicated, which is why I think it probably got canceled, but I really liked it. <laughs> and so um, I wish that we got to see more of that because it was canceled in the first season. We do have a question from a Twitter account. It is, uh, I pronounce it Mess Elijah, but Eli, you can correct me if I'm wrong. This is another friend of mine. Uh, we are going to answer the question of what's your favorite A24 film? Hold for the, uh, hold for the pondering, the wondering, the questioning. And I'll toss over to Sky. I think first off, you three have seen a lot more A24 films than I have. So I think I just need to catch up and give a more informed answer. But, and I think honestly, as you list more A24 films, I might change my mind, but maybe it's a moment thing, but I just think everything everywhere all at once was honestly a breath of fresh air. I know it's kind of, it's kind of maybe a cop out to say the newest thing, but I do think that that was an A24 film that actually now, which is no offense to any A24 films, it didn't feel like an A24 film. It just felt like a breath of fresh air and something unique that we haven't seen for an A24. So right now I'm going with that, but I could be, you know, it could be recency bias. For the sake of us not circling around the same topic, I'm going to say that once an A24 film is, is listed, I would like it if we, yeah, Brandon's making a face. I would like it if we all could name new titles. That way we're, we're not circling around the same ones. Because at least, you know, I, I'm right there with you, Sky. Everything Everywhere was you know, superb. Um, and as we go through this discussion, yeah, throw in another honorable mention if you hear them and you're like, oh yeah, I actually did love that too. Um, I'll, I'll take it away next. I had a list going and it's so hard because A24, as I don't know, expected as they can be, they still managed to hit a wide range of genres. So um, I would just say that initially I would thinking of how much I enjoyed something like this isn't my favorite by the way but when I was leading up to my favorite I thought when it comes at night was first like teased with trailers I remember so much intrigue being involved in that movie because it was just making me like beg the question of like what's going on outside and regardless of how I feel after it ended I just think a movie that excited me that much and like to where I still remember it um is definitely worth the mention I'm gonna throw a tie at you um, hereditary, Tony Collette. If you're not a horror fan, it's okay. Watch this in broad daylight. Have your friend, have your dog on your lap, have a cat, have a mouse, have a lizard, have whatever you need, a warm or gla warm glass of wine. Is that what people like? But, um, just sit down with that film and take it all in. Performances are top notch and just the, the thrill of it all, like the, the movement, everything. Ugh, it's, a, it's beautiful. And then I'll be short winded on the next one. Green Room. If you haven't checked out Green Room, it's like, Hey, this band performs at this place and now they're in the green room prepping for their set and boom, they're kind of getting killed off. I probably made it sound less interesting than it actually is, but Green Room is, it's, it's wonderful. I kind of have a tie um, as well. So one of my favorites is uh, eighth grade. I really liked eighth grade. That darn was you. Oh, that was, that darn was, it. I stole Brandon. <laughs> no, um, raise it. Praise it for me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I'd also like to hear your comments. But no, <laughs> it was Bo Burnham's directorial debut um, because before that he was only doing TV specials. So he did such a great job. And I really can't say enough about Elsie Fisher. I wish we saw more of her more prominently because I think she deserves it. And she's just phenomenal in this because, I mean, it's something nostalgic about eighth grade because like some of her experiences didn't necessarily match up with mine but it was still that essence of like a coming of age film you've kind of been in similar situations and could really relate yourself to what she was going through in those awkward teenage years and so i i thought that was beautifully depicted loved eighth grade and then the other tie i have is uh the farewell i really liked the farewell lulu wang directed that and aquafina was just amazing in it because beforehand she was really known as just the 
the comedic act there. Like otherwise, not very many people, I think, really blinked at Aquafina. And so uh, I thought that, you know, it was a really respectful movie on like Chinese culture and how families can, you know, sometimes treat each other in times of crises. And so it was just it was a really good movie and, and something I certainly wasn't expecting, especially with the ending. So, yeah, those two are are my favorites that I could think of that weren't already taken. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, like, who played the grandma in the farewell? Because she was, like, really, really good. Like, we talked about Aquafina, but, like... Yeah, I, I, I could be pronouncing this wrong, so forgive me, but I think her name is Shuzhen Zhao. I, I, I think that's how it's pronounced. Yeah, I just remember hearing her, and I remember seeing that movie, and I was just like, dang, this woman could get an Oscar nomination. She didn't, but, like, you know, she could have. I mean, she was really good. I honestly thought she was going to get an Oscar nomination after seeing that movie. I'm like, there's no way she doesn't. And here we are in the future <laughs> without her Oscar nomination. We're not mad that Carol got snubbed that year. That's another conversation. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Brandon, please share your top A24 films. Well, if I can't talk about my favorite movie of the year so far, and I can't talk about what I think is the best movie of the decade so far, uh, I, or the 2010s, I should say, um, Moonlight, obviously. One best picture, and Barry Jenkins developed what I think is pretty much a masterstroke in coming of age narratives. I think all three of the actors who play uh, who play Sharon are fantastic. Uh, Nicholas Patel's score is amazing. Visually, it's perfect. I just think it does everything right that that movie needs to do. Although I do just want to quickly give a mention to 20th Century Women, a movie that still makes me cry, and Mike Mills is a genius. We have some Marvel questions. So these come from a Twitter account, any good name. I believe I know them, but we're going to keep them anonymous, okay? It's a mystery for now. Uh, what were you guys, let's correct that, what were y'all's thoughts on this past Marvel phase, and what are your expectations leading into Secret Wars? Ooh. I honestly really enjoyed Phase 4, and Phase 4, in my opinion, was by far my favorite phase in Marvel Studios' work, like the MCU, just because it. I, I thought it started strong. Um, I know that Black Widow, in my opinion, it wasn't the best movie we got in Phase 4, but it started out strong because I think the performances were at least solid. We don't talk about the last 25% of the movie, but otherwise, I thought it was fine. And so, um, you know, between those movies, I, I you know, with Black Widow, Shang-Chi, Eternals, I, I thought that they were really strong picks, and especially with um, the Disney Plus series. I thought that they all started out really strong, like one after the other. They were really great hits. So it's it's making me excited to see what's going to happen with phase five. Um, for me, I, I know I mentioned all the time. It should be like a, a game at this point when I say, I don't know much about the comics, but it's true. I, so then I don't know really what to expect out of phase five, um, but I'm just here for it and excited to see what's up. And someday I will do my homework. Just not today. Today's not that day. Hey, it would have been too easy to toss to one of the hosts of No Caves Required, but now I am forced to do so. Sky, right over to you. How are, what are your thoughts around Phase 4 Marvel and expectations leading into uh, Secret Wars? Yeah, I guess we should mention that Phase 4 is technically not finished yet. You know, we yes, have like, yeah, G-Hole going on right now. We've got Black Panther to cap off Phase 4 and then a couple of holiday specials, I think, in between. So, I mean, there's, even though I guess the Guardians... Did, it, did James Gunn say that the Guardian special was going to be like the start of phase five or I don't know. It, it's weird. It but... would be weird, but I haven't heard about it. Okay. Yeah, I, I agree with that too. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so I guess, yeah, with that being said, yeah, phase four is not finished yet. Um, I would say phase four overall has had like its highs and lows. I wouldn't necessarily say it's like my favorite phase ever, but I do think there's, you know, the highs are really great. Like obviously loved WandaVision, Spider-Man No Way Home was a huge fandom event. Loki was really cool. So Marvel is going to have to have some pressure now under them that probably they didn't have before. I mean, they've had pressure before, but this is something new in terms of just working at a breakneck speed because we're getting so many Marvel projects coming out each year because of the addition of Disney+. Plus. And while, like Sam, I've liked a lot of the Disney Plus shows, I do think that having, you know, consistently putting out quality content is going to be tough when you're actually, you know, asked to make this many movies and shows all within a year. And then the next year, you're going to have the same amount. And the next year, you're going to have the same amount. So that's just going to be something that, you know, we have to see if, you know, Marvel can adjust to. But, you know, looking on the optimistic end, you know, sometimes pressure breeds peak performance. So we could see, you know, Marvel put out their A game for phase five and phase six. And 
I'm excited about Phase 6, even though it's going to be interesting and a little weird to have two Avengers movies in the same year. But I'm very much looking forward to Fantastic Four. I'm very much looking forward to Secret Wars. It's going to be interesting how they handle Secret Wars, because I've heard from some people that it's it, it's sort of like what people thought of like the first Dune movie. Like, is it really filmable? But we did get a good Dune movie. So maybe that's kind of hope for the you know, Secret Wars. And so Marvel does have a lot of pressure, but I'm going to look you know, optimistically and saying that, OK, there's some really cool projects here. In another life, I was a runner. And so I know that if you run at 100%, you know, capacity for five miles, your legs are going to break. They're not, I've not actually done that, but I know and that's that just science. That's science for that's you. That's just science. Um, but that being said, I think that there is the idea of Marvel putting out so much at trying to make the same capacity they did late phase two, early phase three. I think phase four has been a bit of a mess. Um, I do love it. I think it's got some great highs. I also think it's got some lows that I think in the future will only be per, uh, perceived more as lows just because of, again, the working conditions that are coming out, all the stuff that's going on with the studio system right now. I think all of that is kind of perforating around the Marvel idea. And so I really do still have hope for them. Again, like I'm enjoying She-Hulk as I've seen fit. I love this Marvel. I think the shows aren't really going anywhere. I, Sky, we talked about this. I think the idea of jamming phase six so close together with Fantastic Four and the two Avengers movies, I don't think that's a great idea, especially given that perforation of content right now. I think if they can just slow down a little bit, like just three months, you know, push production back, just do that, give people some time to reset. I think that can make a world of difference. If they keep going about that, I'm still worried. But again, the content is still good. I have my fears and doubts. I think the theme of like this discussion is kind of like seeded with optimism, but all of us are kind of more on the cautious side of like, is this a ship doomed to fail? I think that phase four, uh, probably most stand out for me is going to be like Shang-Chi. Like I was just excited for the new heroes that we were presented as well as more time spent with heroes that were deserving of it, like WandaVision, um, like Loki. But I think there's a problem with expecting all of these to intertwine so closely. And at times, I think that this phase really left me with the reaction of, I don't want just to get two minutes max or like 50 seconds mass in a, in a post credit scene, that's going to link these together. I'd rather enjoy them for what they are. If they're an isolated adventure and wait for that moment that needs them needs, you know, the big team up movies, which I feel like is what those Avengers movies are for. But when I get like breadcrumbs of excuses as to why these are all connected, it kind of just feels lousy. Like it feels to me, like I'm not here just to witness the grand tie in of it all. Maybe I was there in phase one, phase two for the, for those reasons, but now Marvel is, uh, it's huge. It's, it's so, it's so much larger than what it started out as. So it would be impossible to manage my own expectations. If I wanted to go into every film going, this is going to matter to it, you know, with the big narrative, this is going to be like a, it's going to stand out for that reason. I think that that's, you know, people maybe expected that out of Captain Marvel when it first came out. So maybe that's why they were all pissed when they didn't really get a lot of anything outside of that, except for the post-credit scene um, because of the way Infinity War left us. So I think that that's what this next phase um, speaks to me is just that I need to start treating these as like isolated adventures and not waiting for them all to connect like against Kang, which was like the looming threat on the corner. Um, but I mean, I, have, I still have some excitement like around Amelia Clark's, I believe, inclusion um, involvement in Secret Invasion. I think that that could be very nice to watch. Um, so I, I, you know, high hopes for that. And especially low key season two, that's at least one of the series that I feel like is very focused in on what storyline is, uh, what we were left with from the first Avengers film with this low key. So cannot wait for that. And final question from that same anonymous Twitter account, any good name. Hey, that is a great name. Actually. Uh, the question is who is likely the next face of the Avengers and who would you want it to be? I think this was a conversation that I think Doug and I talked about, I think, after Endgame, where obviously, like, you know, Robert Downey Jr. was, you know, obviously the face of the MCU beforehand, Captain America really right there with him. And so Endgame was sort of hinting at this with the last scene, Spider-Man, Captain Marvel, and Black Panther. And unfortunately, with the tragic passing of Chadwick Boseman, you know, obviously, which sucks for many reasons, but it's probably going to be either Spider-Man or Captain Marvel, I think. Like, those are, like... And I think if I was just from looking from a business aspect and also just like a fun aspect, I mean, Spider-Man does seem to be like the most popular superhero in the world. Forget Marvel, the world. So it would probably make sense for him to be the face of Marvel going forward. But because of, because he's technically with Sony, 
can they really make him the face of the Avengers? And if there is ever like a dispute between Disney right now, it seems like Disney and Sony are playing nice, but if there is ever dispute, would they, would that make them cautious, cautious about being like the next face of Marvel? So maybe that, maybe that gives room for Captain Marvel, but at the same time, Captain Marvel, unlike Spider-Man is right now kind of a polarizing character in the community. So it's going to be interesting. I think that as long as Disney, um, you know, Sony relationship is good, I would say it was Spider-Man. Should probably be the face, but um, if not, then I think they would go with Captain Marvel. Excellent angle with like the commercial aspect of Spider-Man. I'm thinking about this answer strictly in terms of like team compatibility, I guess, or like chemistry. It's felt like we've kind of been fed this so much, but I really think it would be Doctor Strange. Like I think that he has that kind of commanding respect from the people around him. And if he doesn't, he's arrogant enough to expect it. And I think that that is admired or maybe we appreciate it in a character like Tony because of how powerful he was and how he knew he was regardless of others expectations of him in a lot of ways I see similarities with him and uh, Dr. Strange this next phase is so it's so conflicting because are we still going to be operating as this one Avengers team or are now like with subdivisions of like the Marvels are they now their own unit is Kate Bishop and whoever else is going to be like the younger Avengers are they now operating themselves like I feel like the Avengers is becoming less and less of like the one team with everybody and it's more so just like no this is just the handful of maybe HQ members and then we have our dispatch units that are going here and there Um, and I can see Spider-Man leading one of those smaller um, teams because of his nature. Uh, but I think I place Stephen Strange in, in like that top seat. I think Dr. Strange is actually a good answer. And I think a lot of people would say that like, you know, he's going to be like, you know, kind of the Tony Stark of the, you know, the next multiversal saga. The only thing is when it comes to the Avengers, do you feel like he's more of a lone wolf type? Like obviously we've seen him work with the Avengers before, but it does feel like he wants to keep to himself. But I'll let you answer that. No, do you feel like you could see him leading the Avengers? Damn. It's like, I, I do. And I don't because p- part of his charm is that he only gets involved like when he needs to. And yeah. other times, like when he doesn't have to, but he ends up find, finding a way to be involved. But um, it, yeah, maybe that's the hardest thing to see is him in taking initiative and bringing himself away from strict mystic arts and pursuing like a threat like Kang or um, things like that. It's funny because I feel like I could go in any direction that, you know, so far no one skies mentioned because my immediate thought was also Carol Danvers or uh, Spider-Man, just because I think arguably there's some of the more recognizable characters from uh, the last phase and they could kind of like transfer over into leadership skills going into the future phases. But um, I agree. I, I don't see Spider-Man leading just yet, just because he's kind of a kid at this point. And I also consider Dr. Strange because even going back to his first standalone movie, I didn't even imagine that he'd have as big of a role as he does now, because I, I honestly didn't expect that. And so um, I could see him taking up leadership qualities um, to you know, kind of get involved, like you mentioned, where he needs to be. And so I could see all those points. I guess in a way, I'd like to see um, the new face of Marvel come from somebody who might be a secondary character. Because I feel like in this phase four, we've had so many secondary characters that, in my opinion, just steal the show. And they're amazing, complicated characters that could see the flaws of other people that they've met in their lives and kind of like avoid that. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to be that. I'm going to be my own person. And that's specifically, I'm talking about like Yelena, I'm talking about like, you know, Shang-Chi is definitely the primary character in his own standalone movie, but I feel like he's one of the least likely to take up leadership, but I think that he could be a great leader having said that. They're in their first year of a press tour. Like they they barely yeah. introduced their babies. Yeah. Um, so what will they do and how will they be involved in the Avengers um, team-ups? Thor works, I think, better as a lone wolf. He can obviously come in and be the hammer in regards to, you know, Battle of Wakanda and everything. But I think Doctor Strange has more connections to the wider MCU as a whole. So I could totally see that happening. I would love for Sam Wilson to do it. I think Captain America 4 is going to tell us a lot about his place in the universe. And I think he just has those leadership qualities. Obviously, you know, he's best friends with Steve, obviously. But I think just as a character in his own right, his own journey, I think he'd be great. If you're going to talk about new characters, Shang-Chi, I think, would be great. I think given one more movie, I think he can really rise to that level. I love Kate Bishop so much. I, anything Haley Steinfeld does would be fantastic. And I would love to see her, again, maybe not be the leader, but have to step up in a leadership capacity. I just think she absolutely has that in her. And she does the comics too with Young Avengers. So those are probably my picks. 
Thank you all for joining us for this Q&A, listeners included. This was so much fun to do. We're so happy to talk about our hope for the future, as well as looking back at some of the excellent content that we've covered in the past. And we'll keep on bringing it to you. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart and from everyone here, thank you all so much for tuning in, whatever capacity you have, like whether you've just followed us on social media, or whether you listened to all the episodes from the start, or whether you checked out the actual reviews, or whether you share it to your friends, like this sincerely means a lot to us and it keeps the conversation going. So anything you can do for that, we're absolutely appreciative. And thank you for joining us on this year long ride. It's not the only one. We're hopefully going to stick around for at least another year. While we've got you here, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, at Plot Devices Pod, on TikTok, at Plot Devices Podcast, and on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and our RSS feed, just at Plot Devices. Search for us there and give us a rating while you're at it. It does actually help the algorithms pass us on to other shows and people like that. And of course, want to thank our two fantastic guests for joining us today. First of all, Sky Merida from No Caps Acquired. Thank you so much for joining us. If there's anything you want to plug or anything you've been, that you've been enjoying watching this up recently, let the viewers know. First off, thank you so much for having me here. Honored to be on the one-year anniversary of Cloud Devices. Going strong. Let's make it another two years. But of course, that's totally up to your discretion. But seriously, the Cloud Devices, you're awesome. Um, yeah, if you want to follow me, you can follow me at Vlad and Sky 11 on Twitter or at Sky Merida on Instagram. And if you haven't already, and if you, if you want to, you can also follow No Capes Acquired at No Capes Acquired on Instagram and at Zero Capes Acquired on Twitter. We actually have a bracket going on, which might be finished by the time this uh, uploads, but listen to it, go vote. But go follow those if you want to. We talk about all the same type of pop culture stuff that Plot Devices does. So, you know, if you want two great podcasts, then yeah, feel free to check out No Capes Acquired. Though it's not as good as Plot Devices, but, but it's, it's still pretty cool. Go listen to both. You have time. Uh, like I know all your lives. Anyways, uh, we're making her triumphant return to the show. So man, thank her by SM. Thank you so much for taking the invitation to come back here. Listen, if there's anything you want to plug in, anything you've been watching or enjoying recently, let people know. Thank you guys again, just for having me. I'm, I mean, I'm so proud of all the work that you two have put into this after I'd been here. And I am just really happy to say that I was part of this project in the beginning and just thankful to see that you guys are really doing so well. And so um, for me, anything that's going on, I, I don't have much. Um, I'll just plug Only Murders in the Building season two, because I know that that's something that we all absolutely adore, would recommend watching it. I know that my boyfriend, actually, he he didn't watch the first season. So we're going to go back to it from the beginning and <laughs> rewatch it. So I'm excited to go like see that again with him, especially knowing what happened. Um, so yeah, I would shout them out. Yeah, Sam, I was just going to say, because remember, like on, on one of our last episodes that you're on No Capes Acquired, you as well as other people have recommended no, uh, Only Murders in the Building. And I have yeah. started watching it. I finished the first season. It was Heck great. Yeah. You. yeah, like you said, right now I'm on season two. But uh, yeah, thanks for the recommendation. I just wanted to let you know that I took your recommendation to heart. I'm watching Only Murders in the Building. Oh, I'm glad you're liking it so far, though. That's exciting. You'll have to let us know what you think of the second one, uh, the second season when you get to it. This is actually a perfect transition because if you're listening to this now, uh, episode 34 should also be up. And we talked about Only Murders in the Building, so go uh, check that out. You can check out Noah and I's information in the description below. Again, Plot Devices Pod and Twitter and Instagram, all the social medias will be linked below as well. Please go follow us. And thank you again so much for tuning in to our one-year anniversary. Hopefully the first of many Q&As. We had a ton of fun doing this. Hopefully you guys did as well. From myself, from Noah Guzman, from Samantha and Krobayan, from Sky Merida, this has been Plot Devices one year. We'll see you next year. And I hope you have a good day.